Welcome to another episode of the Carnal Extremities Podcast, a horror podcast that pairs up your more extreme favorites from the spectrum of horror with an extreme metal album most of the time. As always, I am one of your hosts, Reina Cervantes, and with me as always is... I am your other host, Vanna Taylor. Yes, indeed. Um... I always never know how to follow up these conversations. Don't cut this because I'm going to springboard off of this. But, uh, <laughs> I, I never know what to say like after the introduction. Like, do you, do, you, do you ever run into that issue? Yeah, it's a it's like an awkward little limbo, I guess. I don't know. It's like, do we jump straight in or I don't know. I don't know how like I, personal talk we want to like do. A little... <laughs> I mean... We could get a little off topic this week. Uh, I want to I want to talk briefly about what you've been watching this week, not related to the film we're covering today. You know, I knew <laughs> I knew exactly that's that that was where this was going. <laughs> <laughs> I needed an excuse. I you don't you don't understand. I needed an excuse to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I've been a. Uh... I've been watching a lot of interesting stuff this week, that's for sure. Not horror-related. Yeah, this is a little, I don't know, outside of my typical fare. Like, I I pretty much almost exclusively watch horror movies. I mean, there's like, you know, I, I don't live under a rock, so there are quite a few things that I, you know, do also indulge in. But this specific franchise, I... You know, I had reservations about. um, Mm -hmm. As does everybody. (laughs) I think being, um, you know, I used to be a frequent uh, Universal Studios attendee. um, And so my introduction, other than like just knowing that these are movies that are really popular, like my like first real look at the movies that I've been watching recently were the um you know attraction at universal studios being fast and furious mm-hmm. supercharged so <laughs> so i've been watching the fast and furious franchise uh at your recommendation yes unfortunately yeah. i have that effect on people <laughs> <laughs> you do you do but you know i was like i trust you um Mm-hmm. I hope you wouldn't steer me wrong. You know, I would never do that. <laughs> and uh, I to put it the way I, I did when I texted you, I think I was like reverse catfished by Fast and Furious Supercharged. Um, yes, and I didn't ask you to elaborate because I was going to ask you in this conversation what you meant by that. Well, now that... I, you know, I've made my way through uh, the first seven films. Um, My understanding is that this attraction is pretty much uh, was pretty much developed or reflects the films at that point Um, because it has Hobbes. Um, It's pretty like outlandish. I would say like it's a little corny. Um, 
you know, Vin Diesel jumps out of his car uh, onto a helicopter, which is like hilarious to me. He also says the line, now we're moving. And that was a line that was always really funny to me. Like, it was just like this really silly, campy, um, like over the top, like, I was just like, is this what this franchise is? And it gets there for sure. But I mean, um, one of the things is like, I did not know Paul Walker was a main character, was the main character. I knew he was Mm -hmm. an actor in the movies, like, because that was what, when he died, that was what all of the headlines were like, Fast and Furious actor found, you know, like, I did not know that it was like his franchise. And so also he is not present in Fast and Furious Supercharged. I believe they filmed those things or whatever after seven. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I, be- I believe Supercharged was actually added to the studio tour around seven's release or post release. Yeah, it would make Maybe sense eight. because they talk about Shaw, which, you know, we get in like six and seven right mm-hmm. i think and then um hobbs is a character from like five forward right or four mm-hmm. and no, so, five forward five forward so it's like definitely like that era and you know of course paul walker's character is not present so like i thought that the movies were just like you know dom letty and then like Roman and, you know, like, I thought that that was who was the main, like, not my beautiful baby boy, Paul Walker. Mm-hmm. And rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. So I, I don't know. I just, I didn't realize it had, like, I mean, it's always been kind of, like, silly, like, has comedic elements. But, like, when I watched the first Fast and Furious movie, I was, like, in shock. I, I didn't realize that it had, like a much more grounded um like start like it wasn't mm-hmm. you know what fast it's and furious supercharged is until later in the franchise so i don't know and by that time you like fall in love with the characters um you're just kind of along for the ride at that point but yeah i just didn't really expect to like really love it as much and also i think being you know from socal um and growing up in the early 2000s like the first one especially like it feels so nostalgic like i feel like i was there (laughs) i don't know and it's like hot and sweaty and like the music is amazing like i don't know it just felt like it is everything that i would love in a movie and i am sad that i you know had this view of (laughs) The franchise, like, yeah, I guess what it, people can say whatever about all the crazy sequels, but I just was like, I don't know. I didn't, I, I wasn't expecting that. That's for sure. I, it's, it's, uh, it goes back to what I said when I texted you. I was like, that's a movie that feels like very intertwined with my own personal life. Uh, growing up in Southern California in the early 2000s in the Inland Empire, like, I'm not going to say where I live, but like they literally shot the finale to the first movie in my hometown. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I don't know. There's it's it obviously takes place in L.A., but it's 
not the like Hollywood LA. It's like you know the parts of LA Downtown. that looks like where I live and like mm-hmm. I live it's so hot and it is just dirt and desert and lots of auto body shops and um I don't know I you know this is a little like I guess an adjacent um or maybe like a sister of this subculture but like I grew up you know in a family that races dirt bikes and things like that so even some of the like brand names that get flashed Uh, and uh west coast choppers (laughs) and uh you know going to the desert you know every vacation you got or going out to Glen Helen Raceway and you know, going to Supercross, motocross, like, so, like, some of those moments, like, I think I mentioned the race wars scene in uh, Furious 7. I was like, this literally, like, feels like so many moments I had, like, all the tents, like, all the brand names, there's, like, the Monster Energy tent, and, like, Monster Energy girls, and, like, Dom's drinking a Red Bull, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, like, giving me war flashbacks, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know um so th- something about that like it makes me m- nostalgic for those kinds of um subcultures that i did grow up in um but yeah and i don't know it's just like paul walker is so magnetic like i just mm-hmm. his care i'm so drawn to his character and i guess i even i love vin diesel like but I think I even underestimated his abilities um, or credibility, I guess, as an actor in these movies. Um, again, because mm-hmm. Fast and Furious Supercharged, because it's an attraction, it's just kind of like the gimmicks and things like that. It's not really a good representation, I think, of especially the earlier movies. But yeah, that's a really long-winded to say, way to say that... <laughs> I've been watching the Fast and Furious movies and I love them. Reina has converted me. <laughs> the church of uh, Nos yeah. grows by the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, um, you know, has also gotten some attention on, on uh, Twitter a little bit. <laughs> Someone was like, you can't be... A lover of movies and watch Fast and Furious movies, and I was just oh, like, "Oh my fuck god, out of here! Give me get, a get break. out of here!" Like they're not like the greatest movies by any means. I'm not out here saying they're like fucking Citizen Kane, but I'm I'm out here saying that like they're like fun, entertaining, almost mindless movies where you like the characters and you're along for the ride you want to see where these characters end up so you end up seeing the following movie like they're almost everything i want out of a summer blockbuster movie yeah and you know i don't know any franchise that doesn't really get too crazy once you have that many sequels i mean most franchises especially even in like horror movies like get a little outlandish or come up with weird ways to bring characters back and wait 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 are you telling me when they took jason Voorhees to new york city and killed him with toxic waste that that was a little too outlandish (laughs) i mean 
You know, so, uh, a friend of the podcast, Devon Taylor, he, uh, under my tweet, uh, you know, when I said I was going to start watching these movies, said that the franchise feels very much like the Saw franchise. <laughs> um, Kinda, which is ironic. Yeah, so I think another franchise where, like, they started pumping out sequels, like, at this point, you're kind of along for the ride. Uh, you know, you're just a fan of Jigsaw at this point. Um, I, I will know. say Fast and Furious has more characters to root for. Oh, yeah, definitely. As much, but... as, much as I love the Saw franchise, by the time you get to seven, you're just like, man, I don't fucking like anybody here. <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah, but I think it's an interesting like comparison. Like not that not just saw, but like you mentioned Friday the thirteenth movies where you know, mm-hmm. you're at this point you're just at this point I'm family, so I gotta see what's gonna happen next, you know? Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's been an interesting way to pass the time. Uh you know, watching a lot of Movies where people drive cars instead of uh, the typical horror movies that I usually use my spend time or free time to watch. <laughs> but we are here to talk about a horror film. Isn't we that are. right? We are. Um, wh- one that's not without its controversies. I know that was that was a wild segue to go from like, hell yeah, Fast and Furious to like, oh, now into the controversial horror movie topic and discussion. Listen, I never claim to be the queen of segues, but we we gotta we gotta talk about this at some point. Um, th- so th- today's episode, we're covering the fourth and final film in our Alamo Drafthouse series that we programmed for Drafthouse LA, and um. This one is definitely the most like divisive horror film that we programmed, I would say. No? Yeah, I uh I'm sure we will get into it um when we talk about our thoughts, but even I on my initial viewing, I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it. Um Yeah, I don't know. I guess controversial is a word that is used um but i'm sure it won't be the first time it's definitely not the first time and it won't be the last time we talk about something that's a little divisive or controversial on this podcast no it won't be as i'm looking at our upcoming slate i'm like "Mm, okay (laughs) (laughs) um anyway should we just dive into this one let the audience know what we're what we're covering i think we shall Alrighty, the movie this week we're covering is high tension directed by alexandra aja written by alexandra aja and gregory lucevere starring cecile de france my Wen, and philippe nahon the film follows two best friends marie and alexia as they decide to spend a quiet weekend at alexia's parents's secluded farmhouse But on the night of their arrival, the girls' idyllic getaway turns into an endless night of horror as a ruthless serial killer begins to murder the family one by one. (laughs) 
All right, Van. So like um this is this was literally the only film that we programmed where I kind of got some messages from people going like, "Oh, why did you program that one?" Really? Like Yeah, yeah. Well, this movie is very hated online from what I understand in the current like film Twitter sphere. I guess like film Twitter is my only gauge of online film criticism at the moment. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I know, like like I said, when I first watched it, I also wasn't quite sure where I landed. Um, it is mm-hmm. something that it falls under the, like, predatory lesbian trope, um, mm-hmm. you know, monstrous queers, but... And so at at first, um, you know, given the director and like some of the other movies he's made, like I wasn't quite sure how I felt about like whether, you know, I guess his handling of a character like that was like, I was like, I don't know if this was like necessary. I don't know what his intentions were. Um, mm-hmm. But at this, but I also first viewed this like quite a few years ago. Um, I was a very different horror fan at the time, and since then I have very much come around to this idea that just because there is a negative portrayal of someone or something in a film doesn't mean that I can't also like it. Um, like we can recognize that it is technically a negative trope, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you have to automatically hate the film. Like even the film we talked about last week, The Brood, technically the portrayal mm-hmm. of Nola is a harmful portrayal of women and the monstrous feminine is all about these fears that men have. That movie and, hated women. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, like, but we can kind of, I mean, as a queer woman, I could say like, in a way, I almost like reclaim it. Like, yeah, I can, you know, especially for the early 2000s, wasn't a good look, but I still have fun watching I think, it. I don't know. <laughs> that was a, a little bit of a rant, I, think I guess. I think for the early 2000s, this is exactly how queers were being portrayed in media until more positive, like, representation came. And I agree with that statement that you said, like, like especially like like as a lgbt like woman myself um we don't always need perfect depictions of us 
I want I want flawed characters. I want piece of shit characters. I want characters that exist in the world and don't have to be beholden to some higher standard. And to me, yeah, I can see why somebody can walk away from high tension seeing like, oh, that that film's depiction of LGBT is problematic. But at the same time, I'm like, is is it really, though? Like, is the film at the crux about being lesbian? Like, because I don't think so. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I guess the way people have kind of like analyzed it is that like queer desires are problematic, like that her um, like lust for Alex is so deviant that it leads to murder, um, which like in the history of queer representation like that just that kind of in itself, like that the, a lust for, um, someone of the same gender or something like that, like that lust itself is like a seed of deviance that leads to other deviant acts. Um, but that's obviously a very Mm -hmm. like outdated idea, but again, like within the like landscape and history of queer representation on film, like, that's not the first, like, I don't think, the fact that High Tension is not a film that gets a pass when, like, so many other people love other films that are just as um, stereotypically if, negative if, or something like that. Yeah, like, if we're out here in the world reassessing Sleepaway Camp as, like, an empowering trans allegory in the modern era... We could give another look at high tension, maybe not like saying it's empowering or anything, but I see it less as an LGBT film and more as like a a film about somebody that just has a psychotic break. And for all we know, there were were probably many factors that led up to this, not just her lesbianism leading up to it. Spoilers, by the way, (laughs) if you have not seen this movie, we are just spoiling the shit out of it. Yeah, I think, like, um, like, in, in a way, like, it's it's not about the fact that she's lesbian to me. Like, that is not, like, my main focus. It's that the, char- the character is a murderer or has a psychotic break and whether, like, her, um you know, sexual orientation is, like, neither here nor there. So, in that way, you could have said, like, oh, well, why didn't he just cast a, you know, man? And so, like, a hetero man or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, and, which I guess would take away from, you know, how shocking the twist is. But also, if you argue, when it comes to horror movies, like, we are fans of horror movies, most of the characters in horror movies are killers because that's you have a killer and you have a survivor, you know, like. So if every killer was always a straight person, that would lessen our representation. Like, I think like the erasure of queer characters for the sake of not having any problematic queer characters is like just as 
negative of a proposition mm-hmm. like that queer characters can only be good people is like you said like <laughs> i want people who are nuanced and have flaws and um yeah, yeah. like for example, my tweet that blew up this last week where I said where I said I like the trans representation in Evil Dead Rise and talk to me because they're characters that just exist in the world. And to be honest, both of the characters, both of the trans characters in that movies are kind of pieces of shit that are like the catalyst for the movies basically happening. Uh I'm not over here saying like, oh, I don't want that representation. It's like, no, I want flawed representation. I want that that nuanced look at queer people. Now, this one doesn't always hit it on every single note, but I just think that's a byproduct of being an early 2000s film as well. Um, So I guess this leads us to our next point. Um. Why did we want to program this movie of all the choices that we had? Um, I know I, that this one. No, go ahead. I mean, it's technically a new French extremity film. Um, we needed that French like representation. Yeah, like I think in our lineup we had, you know, a good old Texas Chainsaw, um, kind of like almost slasher type. We had a, you know, a Japanese film, a um, Cronenberg film, and then we had a French extremity film. So we had like a film from, you know, four different subsets of the horror genre that like mean a lot to us. Like I know I'm a huge fan of French extremity films. Um, High Tension isn't Mm -hmm. first on my list, um, Mm -hmm. but I think kind of this controversial element we've been talking about is I think a really fun conversation for an extreme horror podcast. Um, It also kind of being able to see it at Alamo and it was, you know, a 35 millimeter print. um, I think it also gave me uh, a whole new appreciation for it actually. So. Yes. A special shout out to Jenny Null from Alamo for somehow finding a 35 millimeter print that we had no idea there was even one in America. Yeah, that was a surprise. And like, I was just kind of shocked that I was like, we get to present this. Like I am honored. Oh yeah, it was, it was truly a tremendous honor to present this one. And was kind of surprised at how many people showed up for the late showing of that one. <laughs> Yeah, um, I wish more people, you know, got to come. I know it was super late on a Friday night, but like, Mm -hmm. how often are you going to get to see a 35 millimeter of high tension? But I guess I didn't realize that so many people didn't like it, like that you were getting, you know, messages from people that were perplexed. So maybe that has something to do with uh, attendance, but the amount of people that did show up, I was still like, y'all rock. I love you. Yeah. Hell yeah. We love you sickos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bunch of weirdos spending their Friday night watching high tension. <laughs> Some people there like solo. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that would totally have been me. Like I like uh, that. That time I did see Ichi the killer uh, at the Frida. I was there by myself. So I was like, I, you know, 
I I understand you weirdos who go see weird movies by yourself because no one wants to go with you. (laughs) This film was also Alexandra Aja's uh, breakthrough into the mainstream and kind of was, I don't know, um, extreme cinema's breakthrough into the mainstream. Uh, Lionsgate acquired the distribution rights to this film um, around the same time that they had put out Saw. So they were building up a reputation for just putting out these like mean, nasty, fucked up films. But uh, Alexandra Aja would later go on to make plenty of American films of his own, such as Mirrors, The Hills Have Eyes remake, and one of my personal favorites, Piranha 3D, <laughs> um, which was written by the writers of the new Saw movie. So in a way, it <laughs> it kind of came full circle. Yeah, I did not realize that he did that Piranha movie. I remember watching that. <laughs> but uh, High Tension almost feels like this like conduit for uh, more extreme influences breaking into mainstream horror in a way, almost just as much as Saw. But it's a movie that I feel people that haven't seen it Like the people that have seen it hate it, but the ones that haven't seen it are almost afraid to watch. Yeah, it has, I think, maybe because people have such strong feelings, like people who have seen it have such strong feelings. Like, I think it maybe colors other people's perception. Like, maybe they're not sure it, you know, also with the reputation that it is a French extremity film, um, that that kind of film movement i think a lot of people are weary of um because those films tend to be like like some of the most extreme or bloody or upsetting films i've watched are french so maybe that's another um you know element to it they have a certain uh je ne sais quoi about them yeah which i mean i think High tension is probably is a lot tamer than, um, you know, some of my favorites. Or I think like when you think of French extremity, like things like Martyrs or Frontiers comes up. Um, this one, I mean, it is tamer, but it does still have its moments. That's for sure. <laughs> it's it's more slasher in nature. Yeah, it has like some really beautiful like forest scenes that i really like it's definitely like a slasher but it has that twist that kind of you know sets it apart from like maybe other typical slasher films um i don't know if i like i can't remember how i felt the first time like about like how surprised i was with the twist i think what's interesting is that we like actually see a killer that's like a stand in mm-hmm. like there's a different actor, I guess, standing in for the killer like that really had me like, wait, what? <laughs> it, it it doesn't help that because of the twist, the opening of the film doesn't make sense. Yeah, it, it's a I was just chatting a tale of two sisters with uh, Spectre Cinema Club. And so we were kind of talking about some films that do that kind of switcheroo um with characters like that are not present or like multiple personalities or things like that and um this is definitely one of the ones where like on the rewatch i am still like okay so they were just like straight up lying to us (laughs) like there are some other films where like they 
do things that are like a little bit clever to kind of um so that when you rewatch them you can see that it was always obvious that this person wasn't there or something like that but this one is much more like much more deceitful um like in its presentation but i find that also really interesting because like i don't think that that like technically diminishes the twist at all like because it's, it's all very real in the main character's head like we are kind of just along for the delusion i don't know if that makes sense pretty much the no yeah pretty much that scene in the field i was kind of rolling with the twist a little bit more where i was like oh that scene where the killer is like shoving the fingers down her throat if that's herself i'm like she in the field like masturbating penetrating herself with her fingers i mean that would check out considering that there is also an earlier scene where she is also you know doing that so it's like i could see like how those are two like scenes that kind of like parallel each other but like from two different povs i guess yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. That's interesting. Yeah, I, you pointed that out on this watch, and I don't think I had ever really put that together in that specific scene. So, um, so yeah, there's still definitely little like hints and clues that you can pick up on on the rewatch, which is why I'm so glad we got to do this because, um, you know, I had only seen it maybe like once or twice, and I was I enjoyed it, but I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it. So it was never really like high on the rewatch list. But um, I think, you know, our screening Mm -hmm. changed my mind a little bit. Yeah. And that 35 millimeter print. Good Lord. That thing was like almost pristine for some reason. It was really awesome. Like I will always love watching things on print, but that's like a film I specifically did not, um, I guess, expect to ever see a 35 millimeter print of and especially like projected at alamo and um i think like some of the like color grading like the saturation um and like how deep some of the like greens and blues are was like really apparent um which also really sets it in with like the early 2000s and like films like saw that are very like green and blue so um Mm -hmm. that was really fun but yeah it was so gorgeous I I had talked briefly with Ben, the projectionist who ran it for us. And uh, he was like, I would, he, he told me, he's like, I was shocked when I was like putting that like on the spool. And he's like, and it was just in such good condition for being as old as it was. Like, like I, I'm not sure when this print was struck, but it was, he, he could tell like from the jump, it hadn't been projected very much, which I doubt like Lionsgate is out here. Like, striking like prints of like high tension like it doesn't seem like there's a demand so this had to have been one just in their vaults like not ran so much you know i i guess again not to just like kind of go back to the public sentiment about you know the twist or like you know people have strong feelings about this but you know i guess that lends itself to the fact that you don't see a lot of screenings of it but in that same vein, I'm like, that makes it kind of a gem to get to go see. Um, you know, I love mm-hmm. going to showings that are not like, well, every theater does a special screening of this. Like, 
I I love going to see those things that you never get to see in theaters because I don't know, that's just so special to me. Um I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever seen a screening like advertised for high tension like at any of the you know special theaters I yeah. go to for repertoire screenings, so yeah. That's that's why it was so shocked when I heard back from Alamo and they're like, "Oh yeah, high tension approved." Also 35 millimeter and i was like wait what (laughs) (laughs) yeah a little bit of a that was our own little shocking twist ending to uh (laughs) to programming this for alamo Mm -hmm. and speaking of programming for alamo now that this is the final film in our series what what a tremendous honor this was to do and talk about um i (laughs) in some way i feel like i I peaked a little in life (laughs) Yeah, it was like, I hope we get to do it again, because I don't want that to be like the last hurrah. But yeah, it was, you know, yeah, like you said, like, not to just keep bringing it up on every episode, but it's just so like, special. And I just felt so cool up there. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a surreal experience, especially for the sold out shows. Um I definitely don't think it will be our last time because I'm not going to say too much, but let's just say I'm already in the inbox of certain people. Yeah, well, we have tricks up our sleeve. Tricks or treats, hence the start of spooky season. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to. You you threw the softball up. I had to swing. (laughs) Um. Which leads us into our musical pairing for this week. All right. Well, our pairing this week with High Tension is The Valley by Whitechapel, which was released March 29th, 2019. Uh, For those who don't know, Whitechapel is an American deathcore band from Knoxville, Tennessee, named after the Whitechapel District in East London, which is where Jack the Ripper committed a series of murders. The group is comprised of vocalist Phil Bozeman, lead guitarist Ben Savage, rhythm guitarist Alex Wade, bassist Gabe Crisp, and third guitarist Zach Householder. Founded in 2006 by Bozeman and Savage, the band has released eight studio albums and 14 music videos and they are currently signed to Metal Blade Records. The Valley, the album in question today, is a concept album based on vocalist and writer Phil Bozeman's childhood, the title being a reference to Hardin Valley, Tennessee, which is where Bozeman grew up. His father, Michael Gary Bozeman, passed away in 1995 when Phil was 10, while his mother struggled with alcoholism and schizophrenia. When a Demon Defiles a Witch is an interpretation of one of her visions that she wrote down in a journal entry. She eventually remarried, but Bozeman's stepfather turned out to be abusive towards the both of them. And Bozeman has since called him a predator and holds him responsible for introducing his mother to crack cocaine, which did eventually lead to her death via drug overdose. So some very bleak stuff. Um, this was your, uh, you know, choice this week. So do you want to talk a little bit about why we 
put this with high tension? Yeah. So Whitechapel has always been a band I listened to since I listened, started listening to like extreme metal in high school. Um, their album, This Is Exile, really got me into them and kind of the deathcore genre as a whole. It was like them and Suicide Silence were like the top dogs in deathcore. Um, and I fell off, admittedly. I didn't always listen to Whitechapel over the years. Um, and I was reintroduced to them recently with this album, The Valley, which was marketed as quote unquote based on a true story, which you don't see too much in music, like at all. Um, and the way that Whitechapel has grown sonically from like my, my days of listening to them where they were just like brutal, like beat down, like death core. Now they're like sonically mature and tackle mature themes that you don't see too often in metal music. Um, for example, the, the song that you mentioned when a demon defiles a witch um, is straight up about like one of his mother's journals entries where she struggled with like, I think he said in an interview with revolver that she was diagnosed with like 38 different personalities and like to the point that they would have like the, each personality would have like different handwriting. And uh, it's about this entry about how one of her personalities was tormented by this demon named my car. And, uh, in a way, he he felt that demon was a uh, his stepfather, that was basically like turning her life to turmoil and whatnot. I selected the valley for numerous reasons. First, I feel like it's a very grim album. There's not a lot of hope on this album. It's an album that delves into like the darkest places, not only physically but mentally and emotionally as well. And secondly, I chose the valley because obviously um, Bozeman's mother and her struggle with schizophrenia and the multiple personality disorder in a way like doesn't exactly mirror high tension, but it's another take on like that, that state of mind. If I, if am I making sense? Am I rambling? No. Yeah, I um. Yeah, I think, you know, just the simple connection of someone suffering from, you know, multiple personalities, like our main character is, you know, definitely suffering from, you know, having this other, um, you know, personality that, you know, through the film is is the killer. Um, so I definitely see that connection and definitely that it's grim and uh it's very sad and you know new french extremity films typically lean into the sad uh no hope vibe so it definitely fits in tonally together um i don't know some of the lyrics uh kind of mimicked i think um you know our main character's state of mind uh i think like in the song you know that you specifically mentioned there's like a line like that there's nowhere left to run or there, there's nowhere like, you know, you can go without like you by my side or something like that. Like I kind of felt like that same kind of like that kind of yearning for this other person, but like this yearning 
turns into something grim and murderous. I don't know. It just kind of had the, like some of the lyrics gave the same vibe that High Tension was giving. Um, but yeah, the, I've never listened to this album before. And, you know, I was familiar with Whitechapel, you know, growing up listening to this kind of music. But, you know, I, too, hadn't really listened to them for a really long time. Um, you know, I asked my boyfriend, like, I was like, have you listened to this um, one album? He's like, is that the one they released like a few years ago? No, I don't. Eh, I don't really listen to them anymore. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what I was in for, but it was definitely different. Um, like Phil's clean vocals, like when the when the cleans came in, I was like gagged. I was like, okay. <laughs> this is like hitting a little different. Like they're still really good. Like obviously it's giving that kind of death core, like but there's still that going on, but there's this twist to their music. Um, like I think the word we've used is mature. Like they feel like mature musicians. And I think like, it's always fun. Kind of like we talked about last week with Cronenberg, like being able to work through your own trauma with your art. Um, I think it's really beautiful that he got to kind of work through these feelings about his mother with this album. Like, so yeah, definitely, definitely going to be listening to this more often. Like I'm, I'm glad we kind of brought this, you know, pairing up. It's a, uh... It's kind of it's kind of a lot to take in. Admittedly, the first time I ever heard this album and like read because I always do that whenever I listen to an album, I read along the lyrics just to kind of take everything in. Mm-hmm. I ended up crying by the end of the album. Oh, yeah, that's like the best. I mean, I guess not everyone likes to cry, but I think that's so beautiful. Like, I love doing the same thing where you kind of read along and you really truly understanding what the song is about so i love that Mm -hmm. i mean i don't love that you cried but i mean i think it's beautiful that like music can elicit such emotions yeah we talked about that like a little bit when we had hit factory on and um when we covered deaf heaven and like this this music brings like a whole nother like emotional level that you weren't expecting Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, and uh, uh, if you go on, I was just gonna say, yeah, I like, I don't know, I wasn't expecting to be like, I don't know, made emotional by Whitechapel. <laughs> like that was just a little like, no, not same. what I was expecting Hard today. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, good news if you're a fan of the Valley, though, there is a follow up sequel album called Kin. Oh, yeah, we'll have to pair that with something eventually. <laughs> I I already have that episode paired up perfectly in my mind. Ooh, I, I can't wait. Yeah, that one that one might be soon, maybe after this next series. Um, But but I have an idea for that one, which I think you'll be into. Yeah, if it if it if it compares. any you know, anything to this album then I'm sure I'll be into it. I'm always into it. I don't know. <laughs> um, Phil said in an interview that whereas the Valley is talking about all the bad stuff that happened and processing it, 
the follow-up album Kin is about letting go. Okay. Okay. I'll keep my guesses, you know, to myself about, you know, what we're pairing that with. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, okay. I see, I see. That's really, I think that's awesome. I love when, like, you know, you have a concept album like this and then it's followed up with, it's like getting a really good sequel to one of your favorite movies. <laughs> exactly. Um, any final words about High Tension or The Valley by Whitechapel? Um, I guess, you know, if anyone listening is in that crowd of people who was like, why are they programming high tension? Or if you're someone who totally hated it on your first watch, um, I would definitely urge you to like give it another shot. Or if, you know, if you've never seen it before and you're scared to watch it or not sure, like, I don't know. I think everything is worth a watch and everything that I hate, I like almost make it a point to watch again to try to see if I'm coming into it with a different mindset or a different understanding. So I don't know. I think give it a chance. You know, obviously not every film is for everyone, but I think it's interesting and definitely listen to The Valley because this is like totally when you brought up this pairing, I was like, OK, I have not listened to this album. I've been, you know, totally total blind I, going in. Blind. I've been bugging you. Yeah. Like, yeah, I've I remember you brought you it up. Weeks. Yeah, you brought it up and I was like, OK, like it sounds cool, but it's not, you know, at the top of my to do list. But now I'm like, oh, dang, I got I'm going to listen to that whole thing. Like it's that's definitely going on my like emo playlist. <laughs> In, in in a weird way, this like re reemergence of Whitechapel and like these two albums have like propelled them like to the top of like some of my favorite like metal artists currently working today. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of bands that, you know, as their fan base grows and as the music scene grows, like it, you know, it's hard to be relevant or like there's people who are like who don't like it when their favorite bands change or do things different or I don't know but I think it's really fun to see like musicians grow and it's really it's really fun like to grow up with like a band that you've listened to and like it's like kind of fun revisiting a band that I was like oh, I don't really I don't listen to it anymore that's like the past but like so it's really cool to kind of like come back to that and I don't know. See, see how they've matured as musicians. Cause I, you know, I wasn't keeping up with them or anything. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess the only thing I have left to say in this episode is too bad. You went on record saying you're willing to rewatch anything you hate because that's you giving the green light for a Halloween ep ends episode. No. Yeah. I <laughs> trust me that that has been, it has been on my list. Like I always, like make sure that I rewatch something that I have a really strong reaction to. Um, I was trying to give it enough time, I guess, you know, like so that it would feel fresh going in. But, uh, but yes, I mean, I, I guess we'll have I to debate expected you'd... the podcast coverage, <laughs> I... but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 
I fully expected you to yell out, Ejecto Cito, cuz. <laughs> yeah, no. I no, I welcome I do welcome the Halloween ends this course. I I think our differing opinions on some films are like more interesting than always just agreeing with each other. Um but yeah, but yeah, maybe I will regret in the future that I have announced that I always do that. But I but I do for sure, like not to like, you know, I don't know, put anyone down who doesn't rewatch things that they hate, but I I don't know. I just I know sometimes I go into a movie with a bad mindset or I am in a bad mood that day or I'm distracted or checking my phone or I don't know. And also I think um Sometimes just time or other films that come out give you new perspective on older films. I don't know. I just urge anyone to give things another shot. Don't have to say you have to like it the second time, but at least give it another shot. Rewatch High Tension is what we're saying at the end of the day. Yeah. Like I said, not my favorite film, not my favorite French Extremity film. Not my favorite queer representation, but it's still worth a watch. And on that note, Vanna, where can people find you on social media? What do you got going on? Well, um, as always, I am at Siren Death Cult on all of the socials. I try to do blog posts or my own reviews on my blog, sirendeathcult.com. There may or may not be a review of Saw X coming soon, um, as well as coverage of Saw X in the upcoming issue of Fangoria. But Reyna, where can people find you? You can find me on all social medias at JFC Doomblade. You can find my work also being published on sites such as IGN, Fangoria, Bloody Disgusting, and many other websites. Time all over the web. You can find the pod on Twitter slash X and Instagram at Carnal EX Pod. You can also find us on Apple and Spotify. Please leave us five stars. It allows the algorithm to show us off a lot more. Also, shout out to the person that left a four star review that said nothing but the word nipples. <laughs> um, that review that got a, that got a killed good, me. <laughs> yeah, but that was really funny. Um, I'm also going to take this opportunity to announce our next series in the pod. Um, we're covering Japanese extreme cinema next. Um, we have about eight episodes, eight or nine episodes planned uh, with a bevy of guests. Uh, we'll be covering some staples and some out of pocket selections. Yeah, I'm excited. We already did Ichi. Um, so Everyone knows we are fans of Japanese cinema, but I'm excited to uh, get in neck deep. I, I think I'm most excited for the finale just because of how to how out of pocket it is. I think it actually makes so much sense, but we'll get there when we get there. 
yeah, we we got some time. Um, we don't know which one we're gonna kick it off with, but we're kicking it off next week. So until then, thank you for listening and thank you for supporting our Alamo Draft House series. <laughs>